Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. One thing I love about the My Millennial Money listeners is that you do want to do the best things possible for your life, your family, your money, your career, all that stuff. But the best, 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 best part about all this stuff is the respect and the dignity that you guys go about stuff. And you'll hear in the first question, a questioner writes in and he's wanting to know about how to increase rent on an investment property they have, but they haven't just gone in without considering the tenants. I've said for years that if you're going to own a property, you need to look after your tenants. And it's just so encouraging when we hear these stories where people want to do things the right way and respect people and respect the humanity. And it's not just all about the money at the expense of other people. I know a lot of you rent, I rent, and there is nothing worse when you do have a landlord who just only cares about the money and that's it. So anyway, a little bit serious. Now, if you have been paying attention, you would know that in the new year, the next book, the prequel to Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested is out. It's pre-orderable now. You can do that. There's a link in the show notes through Booktopia. And that book is called Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Don't worry about investing. Don't worry about buying extra properties. Don't worry about additional superannuation contributions. Worry about your career first. You are the best investment that you will ever make. Trust me, I've met a lot of you and you're awesome. Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money, available now to pre-order. And we just ask that if you want to really support what we're doing, if you can please pop a pre-order in just to give the publishers a bit of a heads up of how many to print. Uh, so we totally appreciate your support. Now let's get into this conversation. I'm Glenn James. You're listening to My Millennial Money. John Pigeon, My Millennial Property, what up? What is up? Well, we got this question and I won't share their name because it's not relevant, but the team sent it through from the Instagram inbox and I'll just get straight into it. Hey, just after a teeny bit of advice slash pointers to think about, please, oh please. Investment property is up for rent renewal in Feb. Currently rented out for $370 per week. Great tenant who has been there for two years with nil issues. On the house is telling me that the average rent for the property is between $425 and $500. Not sure how reliable that is. We have a young family, one part-time slash one full-time salary. And so, of course, we definitely could do with the extra dollars. We need to increase at least a little just to cover inflation, etc. on our part. 
but also don't want to screw ourselves and miss the opportunity as it's a lot lower than the guides slash other places in the area. But I feel it's really hard to increase someone's rent significantly, especially at a time when lots of people are struggling. What would you do slash think about before making this decision? Any help is appreciated. All right. So I, I think, yeah, this just speaks to general housekeeping when you are an owner of rental properties. Yeah. So it's a common question that's popping up frequently because of the extreme rental increases going on around the country. A um, few things I took out of that or, or want to say. One is when you own investment property, you're a business owner. So you're there as an investment uh, into your wealth creation. Um, so there is that side of things. But you've also got a heart and you generally care for other people. So from that side of the fence, you're looking out for, for them, which is really noble. I think, first of all, the 370 per week at the moment um, on the house saying 425 to 500, look, that's, that's great. We need to look and see apples for apples what is our house worth when we're going to rent it out. So property manager, give me a rental appraisal and give me some properties that have rented for similar in the area and get a, a, a figure there that's a little bit more accurate than maybe an on-the-house on the average across the suburb. And to me, this screams like they don't have a property manager though. Yeah, so if they're managing it themselves, well done, hats off to you. I wouldn't do it personally, but so if you're doing that, you, you're doing the same assessment as what a property manager would do anyway, mm. is, is looking across what's available for rent, what's been tenanted in, in the area that's comparable to my home, number of bedrooms, size of block, bathrooms, car space, et cetera, and condition. So that that's the first part of it. And then understand, well, yes, you've got increased costs of living and inflation and all that, uh, but running a business, you need to understand the numbers and what that means before tax, after tax, and, and come at a figure that you're comfortable with. Yeah, so just based off the, I guess we will say hard data for the sake of this, we are saying that it's $55 per week less than what others in the market are renting. Yes. So what I'm doing, there are great tenant who have been there for two years with no issues I honestly don't think I could turn around and do a you know whopping hundred dollar a week increase. Like I'm not doing that myself. No. But as a as a property owner, you know your tenants. You should have a good idea of their financial status mm. because you know when they've come in, uh, you know that they were working full time doing this, or you might know that it could be a single parent who's working part time. So you need to understand your tenant. Mm, read in, the play. Yeah. So what I, and we talked about this the other day, like a couple of weeks ago on the show, maybe an option is just to have a conversation. Hey, we, re, we really value you as a tenant and we hope that you're here as long as you need the place. Uh, we do know that due to the current market, blah, 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 we are significantly under market rates. Yes. Uh, and we acknowledge that we don't want to increase your rent $100 overnight. That's mm. just not happening on our watch. But we would like to increase the rent. And maybe you could say in this instance, would there be an amount that's in your budget that you can contribute? 
Yeah. I mean, it's going to be circumstantial. Like, or it could be we're thinking a $40 a week increase and then we'll come up for air in another six months. Mm. I don't mind the idea of them saying, yeah, you nominate a figure you're comfortable with and, and come back to me. And then that's a starting point, isn't it? Uh, don't mind that at all. But this, again, lends itself back to if you're managing your own property, you're having a conversation direct with the tenant, aren't you? So it can get quite um, emotional. You, whereas if you've got a property manager, they're in between and you're going back and forth and, and they're, the, they're the middle person, aren't they? So... Yeah, it's a interesting one, but it's it's not uncommon by any means. Uh, yeah, and I think it's important to acknowledge that like we've seen so many comments in our Facebook group of people saying, oh, I've had these heartless rent increases straight away overnight and they're $120, $200 a week. I mean, don't be that property owner who does that to people. Yeah, okay. So we, we absolutely see both sides of, of the coin. From a business owner point of view, holding costs have gone up probably, well, interest rates have gone up conservatively two, if not 3%. So on a, on a 500K loan, for example, 3% is 15 grand a year, which is over $1,000 a month. Now, rent hasn't jumped up by that. So are, are you saying if someone rents for 420, but I know I can get 470, I'll take the 420 to keep the tenant happy? Maybe if they're a good tenant. Mm. I don't know. But all I'm saying is the holding costs, it's not the tenant's fault. We got into this freaking hole the other day. Yeah, I know. It's not the tenant's <laughs> fault. No, it's not. That you bought a, a property with debt. No. It should be based on the market only. Correct. Yeah. So, so the you, market doesn't care if three houses in a row have a mortgage or not. No, that's right. Absolutely. But- the fact is the mortgage is costing them another 10 grand a year, for an example. That's right. And it might be you're a bad business owner and you shouldn't have a business. <laughs> Maybe. Absolutely. <laughs> if you want to use that analogy, because there's a lot of people who have businesses that shouldn't be business owners. Totally. In this situation, one income, couple of kids. So money is a little bit tighter than maybe it normally would be. So I'd get a property manager involved. Oh, and I'd also just golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. 100%. Conversation, you know, it's it's pretty chill. And you might even say, look, what are your plans? Do you want to sign a 12-month lease and we'll just lock it in here and give you certainty for the next 12 months? Yeah, and, and that's what the tenant's after, isn't it, is, mm. is certainty in their life. Um, but putting it back to the tenants, what you're happy to pay, and a normal, well, a sensible tenant would look at what they'd be paying if they were forced to move out. Mm-hmm. And then they'd come back a bit, hopefully, and they'd reach a figure that's yeah. uh, middle ground. It's just a conversation. Ben Taylor, is it ever worth changing super investment options between conservative and high growth strategies in an attempt to ride major trends such as a potential recession? Or is it better to just zoom out, if in doubt, and continue with the same strategy? And Ben put that up in the Facebook group. Look, it's a great question. Superannuation is a long-term investment. You need to pick a fund, pick an investment option that is aligned with your values, your risk tolerance for a period of growth timeframes. Now, a period of growth timeframes in the financial world is generally over seven years. 
And these portfolios are designed in their composition to factor in things like downturns. Mm. So we don't pick stocks. Well, I don't in my world. I don't dick around and trade single stocks and try and time the market. No, I don't. I just shovel money in. And the good thing, Ben, if there is a bit of a cool off with asset prices and equities and superannuation unit prices, the good thing is each month or each quarter that your employer is putting money into your super fund, you are buying, if it's in a a growth or a high growth fund, you're buying units in that fund while it's low anyway. Mm. But if you flick to conservative to try and play the game and all that stuff. Yeah, it doesn't work well. You're just buying conservative units when the market's down. So you just got to keep your mitts off your super. I would hypothesize that anyone under 50 years old, if 60 is the preservation age of your superannuation, I believe if you're under 50 years old, you can't touch that money for at least 10 years. A growth investment option has at least a seven-year hold time. I hypothesize that anyone under 50... Once they start to learn and understand investment and risk and asset allocations and all that stuff, chapter five and six in my book, it's the bread and butter that you need. I can't see a reason why someone under 50 would want a conservative investment option. No, I'd have to agree there. Um, Just play the long game. On the proviso that you educate yourself and understand. Mm. But superannuation, investing isn't, we're not traders over here. This podcast isn't the My Millennial Trader where we, where we zip in and out of the market. And you said it right, Ben. You zoom out if in doubt. Have a look at the long term. Yeah. But would you take the approach that if you are a trader, do that with your spare cash in your personal life? Yeah. Or if you add up your super and your equities, total like equity portfolio, not playing around with more than 10%. Yeah. And the My Millennial Investor podcast that's hosted by Nick Bradley he is talking about some of these interesting things and strategies and options and mm. which is a genuine interest to a lot of people. Yeah, I might swing across and listen. Like Nick does options himself. He texted me just yesterday. He goes, oh, I did this the other day. You know, that was all right for $800 like with yeah. no risk and like just stuff like that because yeah. he understands it but he's not putting his house no. on it. Literally. Literally. Mm. So – yeah, I'm I'm okay and totally cool with, you know, carving out a small percent of your portfolio to do interesting things with money to keep you interested, but your super is a long-term investment. And if you fast forward 25, 30 years, you wouldn't notice the difference of your account balance timing the market today because if you if you did a winner today and you thought, "Oh yeah, time it awesome," in 10 years time, 7 years time when it happens again, and you try and do the same thing, guarantee you're not going to be a winner. No. Well, there's 50-50, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ainsley McDermott. What's Ainsley saying in the Facebook group, John? Does anyone know if salary sacrificing will impact my borrowing capacity? Essentially, SS, salary sacrificing, will lower your taxable income. So will brokers see that as an impact on my borrowing capacity when going for a home loan? Well, the high-level response to that is, what money is coming into your life, into your bank balance on a monthly basis. Um, but banks will look at your gross income to start with. So Ainsley can turn that tap on or off in respect to that salary sacrificing. So 
I would play the political game and say, well, some banks will appreciate it, some won't. Yeah, I think the underlying thing is, you know, back in the day when you were a, you know, a, a young worker in the workforce and at the end of the financial year, your employer gave you the carbon copy bit of paper that was your group certificate for yeah. the year, like here's what we've paid you, here's the tax that we've withheld. Yes. And on that, and now, it, you know, it was the PAYG summary. I don't even think we send that to our employees anymore. The zero and myob just shoots it directly across to the ATO. But as part of your payment summary, there's a thing called reportable superannuation contributions and non-reportable. Mm-hmm. So the reportable stuff is like your um, salary sacrifice. It's on your group certificate. If you salary sacrifice five grand a year, broker will add that back, but they're not going to take into consideration your superannuation contribution from your employer because it's a non-reportable mm. sal- a contribution to superannuation rather. Yeah, you can't change that. You can't change it, but you've got discretion with your salary sacrifice month on month. Yeah. But the underlying thing is, Talk to your mortgage broker because every single bank and lender has weird kinks and quirks. Mm. And this is so important. But broadly speaking, I would say you're pretty sweet, Ainsley, and speak to your broker. Yeah. And reverse engineer the process. What can I borrow with SS? Mm. What can I borrow without it? Yeah. And you could ask your broker that as well. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, it's a good question. We're going to take a a quick little breaky break and we'll come back because I want to talk about a phone call that I witnessed in my house today, John. (laughs) If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, welcome back. Community segment of the week. We ask in the Facebook group random questions and we read out your responses. We always see some repeat offending names. So that's awesome. That's what the community is all about. You get regular wildlife in the community. Ideas for cheap and fun hangs. Fun? (laughs) Ideas for cheap and fun hangs with friends. 
All right, Madison Hunter, start a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. So much fun for a group of friends. I like this one here. Um, I don't know if I can pronounce your name, so apologies. Shiloh Ryan. Shiloh. Shiloh. She was in Hobart. Okay. Uh, Project Days. Hi, Shiloh. Hi, Shiloh. We used to round robin between people's houses and everyone would pitch in to help with a project, so maybe put up a deck, build raised garden beds, paint walls, car work, giant clean out of the garage. Work to within the group's capabilities. It's obviously not a cheap hang, but it saves heaps if these projects have to be done anyway and everyone learns new skills. Now, I don't know about you, Glenn, but I can't participate that well in these sort of project days, but I can encourage. But, I mean, if you're, so you're saying you're useless with a, <laughs> a hammer or... Yeah, correct. But I, I've got it work ethic. I could dig a hole. But if we're like, oh, we've got to get some bricks moved around the back. You That's could, it. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Just not a handy man as such. All right. Jack English. Coffee, not meals. <laughs> That's a good one. Yes. <laughs> well, it, I, I was thinking like skipping meals, but I understand like when you're going out with friends, having a coffee and not a meal. Yeah. Park parties, bushwalking, picnics. And a beach day. A beach day is good if you live close to the beach. Kirsten Ann, we bought Catan. Settlers of Catan, yeah. Yeah, and loved playing it and all learning it. Kylie Haynes, morning walk with a coffee. There is a group of school mums we have created and we can all walk and talk for an hour with a coffee in our hand. It also eliminates the need to pay for exercise. Well, there you go. Mm. Michael Kerno, goon of fortune, <laughs> cost effective and patriotic. <laughs> I don't even think I've got a hills hoist like round swinging. Um, <laughs> they're, uh, they're nearly a thing of the past. They are. Remember the old like they're almost made out of water pipe or yeah. like the old gal ones or something? TJ Middleton. Go geocaching. Super fun in the group. And the, it's geocaching.com. Get the free official geocaching app and join in the world's largest hunt for treasure. Mm. So if you're into that stuff. Is that like the Pokemon? Got to catch them all. Stay at home and still do it. Har- um, Harley Aiden, free trivia or music bingo games, night at the pub, eat before you go, one drink won't break the budget. That's good. Up here at Dudley Pub before yeah. COVID and all that, we did trivia up there. Should probably do that again. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. The business owner doesn't really like it because you go there and scab off their trivia and their band. And Yeah, but most people aren't going in without ordering food. Most, yeah, that's right. And it appears busy, so mm. extra people go in there. Yeah. Pia Van Coverden. I recently went to a clothes swap event, which was fun. Everyone brought unwanted but good condition clothes, accessories, and there was also a few homewares, things and books. Awesome. Carolina Viznati, alternative watching an episode of a series on each other's house after a cooked meal and board games. There was a, Oh, sorry, alternate watching an yeah, episode. Al- yeah. There was a, a show on that based in Sydney for a while. But remember the old days, they used to do revolving dinner parties. Yeah, well, that's what this show was about. Every Friday, one would host and everyone would bring a meal and they would rate them, uh, rank the meals. I think mum used to watch that on SBS or ABC or something. Yeah, I think it made the made the mains at one stage, but yeah, quite enjoyed that. We actually did it for a while. Mm. Ended up being more expensive than not because drink too much and yeah, than what we normally would. All right, take us out of this segment, Nathan. So we're at my house today, Johnny, mm. and earlier 
you're making a commotion out in my back area. <laughs> yes. And you're on this phone and you're pacing left and right. Now, one of the services that you provide for people, this is a bit of a plug, but it's interesting anyway, is bidding at auctions on your client's behalf. Mm. And I found it so fascinating, right? Like, And it just speaks to the climate, particularly in the area that this property was that you were bidding for. So just walk us through the process because it just shows you that in the right conditions, you can actually save money. Yes. Yeah. So I think regardless of the conditions to start with, auctions are a scary emotional place. Um, and this particular client this morning was like heart palpitations. Um, like, don't think I can do this. Um, so you guys do it for me sort of thing. And uh, you've you've got the experience, I suppose, or runs on the board to know uh, how to handle it. So enter the conditions, the first thing we look at is, well, how many are registered for this and how many have actually shown interest through open homes, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously we've done all that in the lead up to it. We'd actually put an offer in before auction and um, it wasn't high enough according to them and that offer was 610. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted 630. Right. So we went in, started at 520s and it quickly went to 570 and then 575 is where we were the winning bidder, mm. which is when uh, we sort of started going back and forth a bit. It's like, okay, it's not on the market officially yet. So we uh, said, look, we, we can't go too much higher. So they're saying that's that slang, it's not on the market. Is that because the reserve isn't met? The reserve was well into the sixes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they were keen not to budge from that, but we knew that they wanted to get rid of this property. They knew they had to sell on auction day. So the power is essentially with us, but Mm. we want to get a deal and we want to get a reasonable one. So we thought it was worth 620 to 630. My client was prepared to go to 630. Yeah. And I said, I think that's too high. Mm. Um, So yeah, we went back and forth and um, got a result at 612,500. Awesome. Paid their fee. Hey, that's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I just thought it was interesting watching John on the lounge out there um, doing an auction. Yeah. Here's a would you rather or should I or would I? Billy put in the Facebook group, currently building a house, no further investments apart from super. I have all appropriate insurances through my super due to having a young family. My only other debt is my car loan. My insurance is about three grand a year. Question. Where should I put the extra $50 per fortnight I can spare? One, super, to cushion the blow from the insurance premiums and add to a growth asset. Two, pay on the car loan as this is bad debt. Is there a three, John, or is there a four? What are you doing? Well, out of these two, I'm doing two. Are you? What are you doing? I'm not doing any of them. <laughs> are you doing three? I'm, I'm doing three. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but out of the two, answer yeah. the question for Billy first and foremost. Yeah, probably we're the doing car. two. Yeah, yeah, we're getting rid of that thing. Yeah, don't know the age, but let's say it's thirty. Mm. Too early to contribute more to super when you've got a crappy car debt laying around. Mm. For me, Billy, the first line of your question: currently building a house. While we're building a house, that's a big life event. Mm. I'm certainly not doing anything else with my money. 
I'm staying cash heavy. I'm probably not even paying extra on the car loan. I'm putting that fifty dollars a week into savings. Fortnite, yep. Or sorry, yep, Fortnite. Yep, yep. Like it's straight up. Like, you know, it it's this is good because you've got your foundations in order. Like you've got the insurances happening, mm. which is awesome. You've got a young family. Congratulations. Well done. A lot of people don't get insurances when they've got a young family. But it speaks to me that you're all over this because you've literally got $25 a week spare. So you're budgeting and you've got your cash flow system happening. But I'm literally just focusing on building the emergency fund up, young family, building a home, lots of moving parts. I'm not too worried about attacking any of these financial goals until the house is built and we're in the house. Yeah, no, I agree. The other thing about the car loan is if you pay that extra $50 a fortnight onto that car loan, it doesn't reduce the repayments, does it? You've still got that same repayment due each month. Yes. And often with these car loans, and this is actually, this is what you'll check, Billy, as well, whether it's a fixed rate car loan, so if you pay extra, it doesn't actually move the needle or if it's some type of other loan where if you do pay into it, it reduces the interest paid because things like novated leases and chattel mortgages, they're all fixed rate. So there's actually no point paying it off early because you're not saving on interest. So you might as well just cash flow it out. So that's what you'd probably need to check. That's, yeah, that's a, a thing. A thing I... Do you want to read Cameron Sturge's question? Yeah, I love reading the long ones. Yes, I love you Cameron reading Sturges. them too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, moving to London in March next year and wondering how I should structure my savings slash spending. I currently have 15K put aside for travel. I do intend to work over there too. 7K in long-term savings, 3K in shares. I earn approximately 2500 after tax per fortnight, which comes to about... 1750 after rent, groceries, utilities, so forth. I'll be moving back in m- with my parents in December and won't be paying rent and much less on groceries, utilities, etc. until I leave in March. I would like to get in the housing market eventually, but I do understand I've got a way to go in my savings to get there. I'm wondering from this point on if I should be focusing on putting my pay into savings slash shares until I go to London, noting I have a reasonable savings to travel with. Is there any ratio you would recommend? I should be distributing my money up until I leave. Any recommendations are appreciated. Thank you. What are you doing? Just getting my breath back after that for a start. (laughs) Um, Look, he's got his stuff in order, hasn't he? uh, It doesn't need to complicate it, does he? No. I I just like reading in the – like I love reading – in between the lines with these questions, like Billy's last question, currently building a house. Like, yeah, that's a huge, like, don't bury the headline here. Like, that's yeah. a big life event, yeah. building a house. Yeah. But to me, Cameron, like, you're really good with money because you've got 15 grand locked away for savings, yeah. done. You've got seven grand long-term savings, done. you got 3K in shares, done, or probably continuing. And working over there And as going well. to work over there. Mm. So in terms of... Um, how should I structure my spending? That actually doesn't change whether you're living in Australia or London in the UK. If you follow the Glen James spending plan, like a lot of people, we've got a cash hub. All money goes into the cash hub. Bills are going out of there automatically. We've got a weekly spend account. So whether you're here or in London, and this is it, like we 
sometimes with stuff in life, this is what I've learned since I've been trotting around this planet, two things can happen. We find out some news and that news is facts. And what happens is it can take our emotions time to lead up to reconcile the facts, right? But in situations like this, sometimes the emotions are happening and the facts haven't caught up with the emotion. So in this situation, the emotions are moving to London, big deal. Oh my gosh, how am I going to manage? How am I going to do? Well, the fact is you still spend money in London. You still earn money in London. You still should be able to open a HSBC account or something like some international bank in London or I forget what the neo bank over there is. But so the facts are it's actually not different even though it feels different and it is different. Yeah, it's a different version and it's an unknown he hasn't experienced before. That's right. Mm. So how I'm setting up my money is one thing I haven't seen there, I would hope long-term savings equals emergency fund. Yeah. Because whether you're in Australia or in London, an emergency fund would be considered sound and sage advice. Uh, not as strictly needed here if you're living with your parents, but if you're renting in London, you always want to have an emergency buffer in your life, I believe. So that's that. Look, it really goes down to your own personal risk profile, I believe. So in terms of what are we doing with money until we move away? So you've got 15 put aside for travel. Now, do we have to carve five grand out of that for a deposit or a bond for a place we're going to live? So that's what we need to know. I think it's okay to be cash heavy until we get settled in London, then we can start and continue investing. Yeah, and I think to some extent all roads lead to Rome. You've got 15 put aside for travel, you've got seven in long-term savings. Like, if, uh, Yes, that may be emergency never to touch, but let's work out how much you're going to be earning over there and how much it costs to live. After the first month, you'll have mm. it figured out and you'll have some fun. Yeah, to his point... Is there any ratio you would recommend I should be distributing my money up until I leave? Well, saving as much as possible. Mm. That's, yeah, that's that's the right. ratio. Don't worry about the ratio. Don't be a tired-ass stooge like flick your parents some money or pay for food or whatever. Um, would you even put any money into shares if, if they're that worried about it? Just put it all into savings until well, you get some that's what certainty. I mean. Like because this is what happens. Like every one of you – Listen to me, all you people, every one of you out there who have been traveling overseas for a year or whatever, you have the time of your life. And it'd be awesome to say, I'm in London, I'm going to Spain for a long weekend. Mm. Oh, I didn't know I'll need two grand for that. I don't know how much it costs, but I'm just being dramatic here that it's always nice to have cash options. Yeah. And once you get over there, if you're like, yep, I'm sweet, I think I can save up and cash flow any weekend travel around Europe, sure. At that point, you might then go, well, you know, I'm a bit cash heavy. I've got my emergency fund. I'm living on my spending plan in London. I'm earning good money over here. Yeah, I might have an emergency fund that's a little bit heavier than usual in case I need a flight back to Australia at the last minute mm. for an emergency. But other than that, I can probably just send the money back home and invest it in my investment account. Yeah. Yeah, Cameron, the 2001 version of me when I did this was I had that money put aside for travel like you've got. I was going to work and I did work over there. But if I came back with zero in the bank other than my shares already and my long-term savings, then happy days. Got a good experience. 
Um, but you won't know what it costs you to live until you know mm. where you're living and what you're doing. So, And you can't wreck it, mate. Like, no, you'll be fine. You, you haven't written here that you're in consumer debt. We like we can see when you people send in paragraphs, we know the ones that are wild and like living on the edge and that is not you. So take it as encouragement from Unky John and for Glenny J over here that you'll be sweet. Um, the only other thing which... To be honest, John, I can't believe you didn't talk about this. The old John would have went, get a property before you go and put a tenant in. Well, I would have said that, but he hasn't got enough money. No, no, but what about parental guarantee? But he's got 15 for travel, seven in long term. What's he going to use? Parental guarantee for the deposit. Pow, done. Yeah, look, I've matured. You have, and I've just gone a lot loose. (laughs) Piss off, leave Australia, go have the best time of your life and then come back. There'll be houses when you get back. Because, and this is the thing, like the better you are with money, the more options you'll have relative to other people. Like it's as simple as that. Mm. Good one, Cameron. Mm. Oh, I heard, um, went to the Australia versus England netball the other night in Newcastle, actually. Oh, were you up here? Yeah. Thanks for the invite. No worries. Had, would, the, had the family. Probably so wouldn't have went anyway. No, you wouldn't good. have. I had an extra ticket, actually. <laughs> and there's no way you would have re- went. And I was listening to the national anthem, and it was the first time I heard God Save the King. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, that is their national anthem. It's God yeah. Save the King, God Save the Queen. Yes. Yeah. So it was quite interesting. Mm. Well, there you go. Hannah has a question. Finding strategies that help my ADHD brain manage money better. It's so easy for me to say I'll balance the impulsiveness, but it's so much tougher than I expected. I have been accused uh, legitimately by people saying that I may present symptoms of this. And I know it's popular and everyone online and every influencer has this and all that, but it is a legitimate thing. Yes. And... When I created the Glenn James spending plan, I did that to help me being impulsive. Yep. Because it doesn't happen as much now. But and, I, and to make money. <laughs> and to make money. That's exactly right. It doesn't happen as much. Yeah. But I've put guideposts in my life. Yes. And you're only talking about that over lunch. Was I? Yeah. What did you I say? Spending more and it was just yeah. money went missing and... Yeah, and like you just got – I was saying to John like – and I think I said it the other week, like redoing my spending plan and, you know, found some money that I didn't know was there because it had been a few months since I'd done that and I gave myself a little pay – like just life happens, right? And I've just put guideposts. Like I transfer an amount over to my weekly spending account each week. Like my cash hub on the St. George app – well, the app isn't even on my phone. I've got to log in via the web browser, so I never do that. Yeah. And it's just automated. Yeah. So the company pays me to my St. George account and then I send a small portion over to um, my weekly spend account. Yeah. So that's one guidepost I've got. Another guidepost I've got is I don't spend more than 1% of my income in one go without sleeping on it. So if someone earns $60,000 a year, that's $600 in one go. Mm. Got to sleep on it. Yep. If you earn $80,000 a year, that's $800 as a guidepost. Yep. If that freaks you out and it's too much, can you do half a percent 
Yeah. Can you just say, I don't spend more than $100 in one transaction? I split it up and do five in a row. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you go on payment plans. Yeah, that's why you need to have to pay people. Um, joke, far out. They'll be credited and <laughs> paste it all online. But like, I don't know. I actually, I've resolved that because Glenn James can be erratic, he can be impulsive. I've just had to resolve that the blowouts, and I'll tell you, I'll give you a live example. And it's so annoying. It really annoys me. Like I was downloading this and it's just being neurodivergent and going all over the place. People have said that in reviews, like Glenn gets distracted. (sighs) I'll finish what I was saying first because I'm learning to be more self-aware with my thought trains. Very good. I'm trying to manage my own money in a way that the blowouts are no longer $1,000. They're like $100 blowouts. Right. Because... As long as Glenn's on the planet, there probably will be impulses and some financial blowouts. So are they business impulses or personal, personal impulses? Yeah. I'm pretty good with the business stuff. Yeah. I mean, I got a bit spendy the other day, if I'm being honest. I bought two new monitors and upgraded oh. Nathan's computer and Mate, I'm looking at about five monitors right. I got here. three monitors on my desk, and if you need to see it, it's on our Instagram. It's the command center. Mm. But I mean, they're leg- like I legitimately wanted it for productivity and Yeah. I wanted to upgrade the editing computer and monitor that Nathan uses. But in the main, like the last time I got really spendy on an impulse was with those kayaks (laughs) during lockdown. (laughs) Where are they now? Downstairs, under us, yeah. And they were like a couple of grand for the two of them. (laughs) I used them twice. Yeah. And like the day that they got delivered, I got home from hospital from wrist surgery. So I yeah. couldn't use them. <laughs> so, and I've just figured now, like if I'm going to be out on the water, it's going to be with a, a boat. Um, yeah. So does, does Hannah need the the GJ spending? Plan? Well, Hannah, if you are listening, Hannah K, write in, verify that it's you. I'm happy to give you a copy of the spending plan. Good on you. But I think it's just more... Just being very self-aware of your own natural proclivities. And for me, it is that if there is money around, I spend it. I'm impulsive. Oh, and that's what I was going to say before. Like I'm just trying this intermittent fasting at the moment. Mm. And I bought this app on the app store. And this is such a problem. And they get you. They're like, oh, it's $5 a month or like $100 a year or something like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just do the year one. It's better value. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> within about 10 seconds, I'm like, this app sucks, delete, wasted $100. Or, you know, so so for me, those dumb little blowouts, mm. and it happened the other day with the, the rug that I was going to buy out there, <laughs> I'm just impulsive. And thankfully, the rug website, I bought one, which I thought was good, sent it to my friend Dirty Mike because he's actually pretty good with style. And I'm like, this is good, right? He's like, nah. I'm like, Screw you, you didn't get back to me in time and I already purchased it. <laughs> <laughs> so she needs to have it automated. Yeah. She needs to have a out of sight, out of mind and this is the amount she's got left. Mm. Um, would you cut up cards? Credit cards, yeah. And that's the other thing. I've made cash. sure I do not use consumer credit for anything. Yeah, but even to the point where like that's a, that's a given but mm. actual cash. Yeah, you could do that. You could do that, not use Apple Pay. You could withdraw money every week. Because that's hard. Yeah. I just think 
it's part of the MO of someone with this type of personality. Like for me, I'm a shoot first. Oh, by the way, should we aim? Or where like a lot of people will spend three weeks aiming. Yeah. So this is just the MO that I'm dealt with. Mm. It's the MO that you're dealt with. Like we just have to be so self-aware of our natural proclivity around money. Yeah. And manage that ongoing. Yeah. And and think of the impact of, of you making that decision. But also we'll put in the show notes, the team, uh, and it was really a, um, a bit of a team effort. The team, with the help of Jess, put together a blog, I think JK, and it's just got a heap of like mental health support stuff um, for our listeners. So we'll put that in the show notes and speak to your GP. Like if it's getting out of control, because sometimes like this stuff can manifest and I don't want to go into the psychologist stuff, but it might not manifest in like quote unquote spending. It might manifest in like addiction and substance abuse. It might manifest in other ways. So I don't know. Mm. Elspeth, Hollenby, I'm looking at a unit that is covered by Strata. I've been told this covers building insurance. So how do I go about getting home and contents insurance that doesn't double up on this? Well, here's the deal. With Strata stuff, effectively, you've just got to insure everything that's inside and any fixtures. So you don't actually want a home and contents policy. You just want a contents policy. And you need to make sure that... And speak to your, like, we use NRMA or GIO or Amy or whoever the insurance company is. Just tell them, hey, I've got a, an apartment or a townhouse. It's Strata. I need some contents insurance. Mm. And their policy will tell you that, you know, the curtains. So if you're in Strata and there was a, a fire in one of the rooms and the curtains went, that's claimable because it's not Strata common property, it's yours. It's usually like the curtains... Mm. The flooring. Fixtures and fittings. Fixtures and fittings. Dishwasher. Yeah. All all that stuff. So you really don't get an overlap. No, you shouldn't. Um, But often people can, no doubt about that. So, yeah, wherever you're buying, I would check with someone in that complex even to see what's what's going on there if you want to double check. But, Mm. yeah, insurance companies will sort that out for you. And just as a PSA, with insurance and home and contents insurance – we got an email from Rachel from Sphere Finance. She's been on the show many times. Yes. A lot of you guys have gone to Sphere Home Loans. Yep. And she emailed us to tell everyone to double check your building insurance, sums insured, given the cost of timber at the moment, supply chain issues, all of that. Mm. And also whether that, there's accommodation benefit built into your policy for 12 months or so because she was on holidays in the USA and while she was on holidays, her house caught fire and it can't be lived in for 12 months Mm. because that's the delay to rebuild it. Yeah. I drove past it actually the other day. Was it visible to damage or? Uh, Yeah, it it wasn't not as visible internally you would see that it's a mess but externally one side of the house definitely uh, mm. got issues but yeah and and some some clients are telling me that they're required to insure their house 
uh, for investment purposes for more than what the cost of the total purchase was, which uh, I found interesting. We don't insure land. No, but uh, and, and that's well, actually that's probably a good one. Like if someone like your story before, mm. where you went to auction and you know six twelve yeah. for that property, they're not getting a home and contents policy for six twelve. No, they're probably getting a what's a house cost to build four fifty five hundred. Yeah, well, this was an apartment, so right. yeah, you've got very little. Like the cost, it's an interesting one because that's all part of one building, mm. right? To replace that, you're replacing the whole complex. So mm. it's a totally different ballgame. But in Rachel's circumstance, it's, mm. yeah, costs can quickly blow out. And the time frame, I think she mentioned in the email, didn't she? She was lucky she had cover for accommodation. For 12 months, yeah. yeah. So she's not living at the place now. Um, but, yeah, that's house fires, they are common. Yeah. They're, they're more common than what you think. Yes, and uh, was a magpie or something nest? Yeah, there was in the fireplace. Yeah, so basically, what happened was her one of her family members was living there while she was away, and the fireplace was on, and in the roof space there was a bird's nest next yep. to the chimney stack, and that caught on fire. Damn birds! Mm. So she was insured. Um, she's covered for the damage, but she said if it was a complete rebuild, she would have been out of pocket. Yeah. So, yeah. A cautionary tale. So, yeah, we wish Rachel all the best for the next 12 months. And I just don't think there would be anything more devastating, like to have your house destroyed by fire or flood. No, and, and especially when it's your own home that you're living in, mm. there's so many sentimentals and, and yeah. It just you've really got to understand your total contents. Yes. Like contents can so so much be underrated when you think about like imagine if you were to replace the contents in your wardrobe. It'd be probably a hundred thousand right there. <laughs> <laughs> no way. But I tell you what I do, uh, and everyone should do this, like on Google Sheets or three sixty five or whatever that Microsoft one is with Excel. Just have an asset register list of all like your hardware stuff like fridge, lounge and all that. So what I do, particularly I need to do it for my personal stuff, but I actually don't have that much personal stuff. So I don't heaps care. But, you know, if you do have a big house with heaps of stuff, what I do with all the business assets, we've got an asset register. It's got the, what it is, the brand, the serial number, where we bought it, the price and um, any notes about the model. Mm. So we've got, you know, I just know everything that the business owns that's an asset, it's on our asset register. Yeah, that's good. So every time like Nathan's new computer, I'm like, hey, because I just got the screen delivered to his house. I said, I've put the price in and all that. I just need you to put the serial number in. Mm. Nice. So there's um, something yeah, to do. Idea. So, I mean, you could do that with your personal stuff, but... If I'm being honest, my own personal stuff, I could probably say off the top of my head without needing a, a list, but it just depends how big your house is, how many rooms you've got, how much stuff. I mean, what- Quickly adds up though. Yeah, like it you, really does. And we're looking at, we're obviously in the middle of building a house at the moment and mm. the little incidentals that you don't think about, let alone mm. your shoes and your Giorgio Armani's. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. But what I'm doing with our, one of the properties- the strata insurance is up for renewal. Yeah. 
and I swear it's gone up like $500 mm. and the sum insured hasn't really increased. But what we're doing, we're increasing the excess from $750. i am going to take it to $1,500. Yeah, reduce it. But also increase the sum insured based on everything that's going on at the moment. Yeah. Well, we've got it, don't we? Like if the banks don't want us to, we still should be doing it because mm. of the cost to replace. Mm. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, friends. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Glenn James and this guy is... John Pigeon. And you're listening to my Millennial Monet. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.